Welcome to Carry the Fire, a podcast where we explore the big questions of life through the lens of the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'm your host, Dustin Kensrew, and my hope is that through these conversations with people of diverse and divergent backgrounds and beliefs, we can glimpse the world anew through each other's unique perspectives. Again, I guess how Palm Springs really like came about was first like this uh, a character challenge slash point of view of a character, and then these images of like yeah him floating in a pool, um, which was it was it was it was cool like uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly picked their like the the greatest shot of the year, um, and it was they picked the shot that's at the, the overhead of. Uh, Niles on the pizza raft in the pool. <laughs> hey, everybody. Today on the pod, we are joined by Andy Ciara. Andy's a screenwriter whose first movie, Palm Springs, just came out this year on Hulu. It stars Andy Samberg, and it is fantastic. In our conversation, we discuss the relationship of meaning to mortality. We talk about the leaps of faith that are life and love. And Andy shares how Jurassic Park changed his life as a child and why there are dinosaurs in his new movie. Let's dive in, but first, spoiler alert, before listening to this conversation, you really have to stop and go watch the movie on Hulu first. Okay, fair warning, now let's dive in. I am really glad to meet you. Likewise. Well, we'll get more into uh, what I want to dig into, but I like starting off, I don't know if I warned you about this, I always forget. Um, I like to start off asking people... Uh, what would cause them to have a deep sense of wonder about the world when they were a kid? Or like, well, what would cause me or what, di- or what uh, did cause like, me? Like when, just when you think about your childhood, like what was the, the, what were the like touchdowns of like things that would just make you kind of trip out about life or the universe or whatever? I'm thinking of moments where my, I feel like my, my world expanded mm. and I think grow, growing up in a very, a very conservative suburban bubble of your Belinda, you definitely remember those moments of where the world expands and you see like, oh, that's, the world is bigger than this, this here. It's, oddly enough, I think there, it's, uh, it's through movies, mm-hmm. as I know that seeing, seeing Jurassic Park. Uh, like, you know, that, dinosaurs were real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm looking at a picture on the wall. Uh, it's, it's from the Truman Show. Where you know the uh, he's walking uh-huh. up the steps um, at the end of the Truman Show, and uh, and that movie hit me really, uh, really hard as a and I would, and it came out in ninety ninety eight maybe ninety seven, and so I was ten or eleven, but like living in a suburban mm-hmm. community, like I said, and the moment where he like he goes yeah. through the door, I feel like actually now now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> But my, I'm in the, the guest room of our house, uh, like guest room slash office. And my parents, uh, whenever, when they come up here um, to kind of help out with our, our three-month-old and our two-year-old, uh, they stay in this room. And my dad just point, he brought, he pointed out last week, uh, I'm gonna, just going to show you the, the wall. Point, he pointed out last time he was here um, that there's some kind of like thing with hands uh, that is going on that I never even noticed, but there's the 2001 mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, painting. There's the 2001. This was this is a, a collage that my my buddy, our the bass player in our band Noah, 
uh, our old man, um, he had made that I remember when I saw this, I was like, oh, I love that. And he, he got it framed for me and gave it to me as a present. And then I have this, uh, this, this book of, of symbols here that is just a giant hand on it. And I, I never, I never connected, uh, all those dots. Um, uh, I don't know why, uh, but it was I, when my dad pointed that out to me, I like my, my mind was kind of, kind of blown a little bit. And I think the reason I bring that up now is that, um, is to bring it back to the movies. Trim, or, uh, 2001 was another movie that I remember when my brother, uh, showed that to me, he got that, the Stanley Kubrick, uh, box set, VHS box set, I think sometime around like 96 mm-hmm. or seven or something like that, whenever that came out. And, uh, and he told me like, you gotta watch this thing. It's like, it's it basically, it's going to change your life. And I remember watching it. And I think I, I did, I didn't know what I was, I remember watching with a friend and I like pretended to like have it to like say like, yeah, wow, man. <laughs> and I don't think I understood it at all, but it's still at the same time I think back on it and like, maybe that was some, that was a moment where I, uh, my, my, I don't know, my, my wonder in the world was expanded a little bit. Um, again, I don't think I understood what was going on in the movie, but I'm, I know that I was supposed to feel something. So maybe I tricked myself into feel, feeling something while watching that. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a long, long, long way of saying, um, those are, those are moments, uh, that it, 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 through movies and, and storytelling, uh, where my sense of wonder of the world and the universe, uh, expands a bit. That's awesome. I think any kind of story can do that thing that you're talking about, like, a, whether it's a, a novel or a movie or, a, um, I don't know what else, mm-hmm. like, like, what do you, f- I mean, I guess a song could do that. Any, any form that you could put a story in, like, but what do you feel like is unique about like the screen and what draws you to that? I don't know. Maybe like the path into it for you. Like, what was that like into writing for the screen? Yeah. I, I remember very clearly writing short stories, okay. right? Like pretty much again, it was when I was, it was right after that. <laughs> saw Jurassic Park, um, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, I, I remember writing like, uh, uh, a time machine story called stuck in the past, which was about people who go back and get stuck in the past. Um, in the time of dinosaurs, I wrote a, I wrote a sequel to that. Um, that, I mean, this was for myself really, uh, that I, but in my mind, I, I was like, people are going to love the sequel. Um, but it was stuck in the past too. And when they went to back, they went back to, uh, save um, Abe Lincoln from his assassination, um, and that that I wrote that uh, that masterpiece. I think in when I was in fifth grade. So like I think just there was something about I had a lot of trouble reading in mm-hmm. elementary school, um, like trouble focusing. Uh, I remember getting D's on my comprehension quizzes for a uh, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, and I. Like I remember forging my parents' signature, uh, and I just like erased it a bunch of times, and I, it was like when my teacher uh, got it, like she's like she just knew right away, like yeah, there's like a million erase marks on this. Your parents did not sign this, and I got I got in trouble uh, for that. But like I it was I just had trouble like focusing on it um, on reading, or or I just did not like C.S. Lewis, um, one of those two. Uh, but. Uh, but I find, but I was able to focus on writing, uh, like, like really zero in, in the same way that um, I think like people, you know, 
people who have trouble reading, like also sometimes they'll, they'll mm. paint or they'll do like different things like that. Like, uh, I remember, I remember writing little, just make believe short stories that that was a way for me to like really focus in, which was just, it was weird because I had trouble reading. So, um, but not reading my own stuff. Um, so I, from that point, I was always like attracted to storytelling. I don't think I knew how to tell a story, but I was attracted to it. Uh, and this, that feeling of like, and yeah, so maybe that is why I was attracted to the, to movies and television is that like my brother was a straight A student and, you know, in all the honors and AP classes. And I, I was, I didn't want to not be in that. And I was trying to follow in his footsteps. Um, and so, but I remember in th- that same cycle of like getting bad grades on these comprehension quizzes. And this is just probably so, so fucking boring to anyone listening no, to this. Um, we're talk, uh, I'm going to get into great expectations. Um, so reading great expectations, I was getting these, these D's on comprehension uh-huh. quizzes, um, in honors language arts. And I was, this is yeah freshman year and I was going to just be bumped down. Um, again, it was, again, it was about just focusing. I couldn't, just couldn't focus. And then my mom took me to the library she's, and she's like, let's, let's try something. And, uh, where we checked out, um, mm-hmm. audio books of great expectations. And then, I started just like reading along with the mm. audiobooks, um, and then all of a sudden, like the next, I, I did my next comprehension quiz, and just got. I, I felt like this is so easy. Like all you have to do is Answer actually just questions. like yeah. <laughs> read, and then you just just like actually read it, and then just concentrate for whatever 20, 20 minutes, and you're good to go. Uh, and I was, and I had to like retrain myself to focus during all that time. Um, but I think that, you know, during those formative years before like, you know, diving back into books, the visual medium was, is easier, an easier, uh, uh, way to get stories and be that TV or especially movies. Cause I mean, if I was a kid today, I, I would be, um, you know, going through both a lot, but I, I don't think I watched as much TV in, uh, in yeah. the nineties as, uh, as movies. Cause I was, and I had a stack of VHS on top of my, my TV in my bedroom. And I would just like, I'd, every single night I'd fall asleep watching a movie. Yeah. I've tried to um, communicate to my kids. Like we used to watch things over and over like a lot. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think they're yeah. starting to get that. There's like a lot of value in rewatching. Uh, certain things that are great, but I I I love love rewatching things. Uh, um, I think that there, a, a ton of movies that are like oddly enough, not even my favorite movies at all. But I can just like, I know like the back of my hand because I watched them repeatedly as a kid. Um, and those yeah, those are the ones that were just on top of my on mm. top of my TV. So yeah, I don't I, I don't even know how I got on how how I got on that tangent. Uh, or the oh, th- yeah. getting into writing, yeah, that's why. Oh, that's or why, good. why, why movies and and so yeah, I, I was attracted to that. And then um, again, following in my brother's footsteps, uh, he was in video yearbook in high school, and um, and when he you know, he went off to college, and like, I, when I was a freshman, he was a senior. So like my I think my sophomore or junior year when he was already gone, like I I joined video yearbook as well. Um, one of the main reasons because they just had nicer cameras um, than I, like I, I had a big, I had a cool, like a big shoulder mount camera that was kind of like with the big VHS tapes in there um, that I can just, you know, make little fun 
short films, um, usually so like an adaptation of, I did like the, the Westing game or, or the crucible or, uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Then when I, I joined video books, I can, you know, I have to film mm-hmm. sporting events and whatnot, but then, uh, I was able to check out the cameras on the weekend and, and just mess around with them and try some other, like, you know, more experimental short film things. So there was one, uh, that we do like a, a workshop, yeah, I remember we doing a, did a workshop between uh, before each school year and the last one. Uh, I remember me and my buddy made a this really weird video for uh, uh, the faint um, or a song mm-hmm. a song by the faint. Um, I, can't, I can't or it was it was hospital or take take me to the hospital. I think that was a song, um, and that's where I, I I realized like the freedom and like in the creative freedom when you have a camera, how, how large of a canvas mm. you have. Uh, and to just really try some weird shit that doesn't always work, but uh, but I I remember I, I remember very clearly making this like very like a sexualized video um, uh, for the faint and and that like, that was just another one of those like notches in my head that was like or in my mind like there's something here I want to keep chasing this and so keep chasing some storytelling stuff keep chasing this visual stuff and then and then my brother asked me to be in his band um and i put all that aside to uh to be in a indie rock band for the next 10 years um yeah that's interesting about like almost i feel like those two things like you telling stories and then thinking through the lens like combined to be like that's a screenwriter like right like that's like i guess so (laughs) i guess because i feel like that's one of the I, I don't obviously don't know very much about screenwriting but like the way that you're setting up like here's the shot like here's the scene like you're thinking about it in a different way than you would be when you're writing like a novel or something you're you're thinking about what is the camera seeing and then what's kind of happening in that frame yeah or no am i totally people talk about whatever screenwriting gurus and books about like what your what are the, the do's and don'ts of writing a screenplay mm-hmm. like some some of the people like some people say don't don't ever write like music cues into a screenplay mm-hmm. or don't call out shots uh, uh, in a screenplay which I I'm just gonna <laughs> roll my eyes at uh, I think it's silly because Ben especially why I know it's silly is that for Palm Springs. Uh, that thing was just through throughout top to bottom, like calling out shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, uh, I, I put a bunch of songs in there, um, to like, you know, sync or, uh, music cues for like different mo- points of the, of the movie. Um, and when we met up, when me and Max, the director, um, met Andy Sandberg and those guys for the first time, Andy was just like, yeah, dude, let's do more of that kind of stuff. Let's, uh, let's ca- call out more shots and like, let's, and, that's just for one proof that that way of looking at screenplays uh, or writing screenplays is just of you know of not calling out shots, not uh, calling out music. Like that's just bullshit. There there aren't any rules to to screenplays because to your point, um, and there's I mean there's some rules obviously, um, but to your point, like I, I I can't think of another way to do it than to like really see exactly like seeing, put on yeah. the page exactly what I'm seeing. Like as you know, I'm trying to imagine the scene in my head, um, and not you know not exactly how you would shoot a scene, but still like 
you know, if you're if you're coming in on a scene and I'm and it's just me and you here, like you open on it's just me and you, like I do you don't actually you don't need to see everything in the bedroom mm-hmm. behind me right now. It's like I'm just focusing on so I would just only describe that and I and just describe what the eye should be seeing. Um I think and that's that's where that kind of like hyper focus I think does help me out when it when it comes to like the actual writing stuff is that like I I tend to almost like I mean that, that's why it just takes me so long to write because I, I get too hyper focused on things like that on the way that like a scene is unfolding when when probably the better the better thing to do is just to like yeah just tell a tell a story and let <laughs> let people figure it out later how to how to shoot it um, yeah but I feel like part of what's going to entice someone to want to make the movie in the first place is getting all of that out of your head. Like you have a specific vision for it. And the more you communicate that, it seems like that's attractive mm-hmm. to someone being like, I want to make that movie. I want to be. Able- yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I, it just might just take me maybe Palm Springs is the only script I'll, I'll write. Like maybe I'll do one script every 10 years or whatever. Uh, cause it just takes me too long. Cause this one took a very long time. Um, how long are you working on it? Um, some, some version of it for since 2015. Okay. Like it, it, it the, the quick story is that like, well, hold on. I'm, uh, I'm going to say spoiler, spoiler alerts. Cause we'll be talking about the movie and you should go watch it. If you haven't, uh, on Hulu, really really good so palm springs thank you man um uh started writing it in a or or right after i finished afi uh american film institute um i i feel like i have to mention that on your (laughs) podcast in particular not not most podcasts are like what is afi but like or uh but this one in particular is like uh yeah come on you mean davy havoc (laughs) just a small side story like afi was uh, maybe, actually, to be honest, that that was one of those like universe expanding moments mm. um, when my brother, uh, f- uh, f- I think it was for my 11th birthday, uh, he gave me "Shut Your Mouth, Open Your Eyes." Uh, yeah, that was that was one of those moments where my brother gave me that, and that's you know, it's it's a little like edgier of a of an album, and then, like the artwork too is for like a, mm-hmm. a fifth grader or sixth grader to be getting. Um, so like my brother gave it to me secretly, and then I then I became a huge AFI fan. Um, Black Sales was a huge album for me. But then fast forward to when I was going to uh, college at UC Irvine, um, and I was working at the Veggie Grill, which was that was the, it was the very first Veggie Grill there was, um, and uh, and it's you know it's a vegan place in Orange County. There was like that native foods, uh, but yeah. this was like, you know, the vegan comfort food. So a lot of people would come out, come from all over to, uh, go there. And I remember, uh, a couple times, I think at least twice Davey Havoc came in and I was just like starstruck. Um, <laughs> and I, cause I had, I had, I maybe had seen him like once play once back at the palace, like in like 99 mm-hmm. or something like that. But otherwise, like that was when I was, I was, child and now I'm college guy and I hadn't, I hadn't kept up with them as much, but like just seeing him, uh, I was like, I was brought, brought right back. And he's also, he was just the, the sweetest guy ever. Yeah, he's super nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I went, uh, after our band broke up, um, my band broke up, I, I went to AFI and on, on the first day at AFI, um, I met Max, the director, and we just hit it off over like, we love the same bands, same, uh, movies, mm-hmm tone kind of we're like we kind of the same protective the same tone tonal like shifts of like silly to sincere mm-hmm. um and so we made a couple of shorts together while at school and then we finished school and 
headed out to, and like right after, right after we graduated, we're like, let's let's try to make a movie together, uh, something that is like contained, like something that we can maybe like feasibly get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't under like you know a, a micro budget thing. I didn't really know. Uh, how we would get money for that. I, I was in uh, a lot of debt at the time. Um, and so I, you know, my con- my understanding of money and finances is pretty slim. Um, but well, I was like, yeah, let's, just, we'll, we'll do a little micro budget film following that kind of Duplass brothers model. Um, and so we went out to Palm Springs and just threw ideas around like what would, what we would want to do, like, you know, something that maybe one location, we both, we both grew up in uh, Southern California and I, you know, I, we both gone to Palm Springs a bunch as kids and through adulthood and we, you know, watch it go from a, you know, retirement community to like this hipster haven and, and now everything in between. And like, I love, I love Palm Springs. I got married in Palm Springs. And so we're like, let's set, set whatever the story is in Palm Springs. Um, and then, so out after that weekend in 2015, we had location and then we had like the seeds of an idea, which was, uh, you know, is it... <laughs> Is it possible to take a character who claims to care about nothing at all? Um, some, you know, armchair nihilism kind of stuff. Can take him um, on some type of journey to like where he, you know, for lack of a better word, finds purpose in caring, mm-hmm. uh, finds a reason to care, and like that was that was it at that point. I didn't do another. This wasn't a time loop wedding movie or anything like that. <laughs> at first, it was just like this idea for this character who is like, and he's, and, and yeah, there, he's always been Niles because of nihilism. Yeah. Okay, just like, great. it's just really, really totally on, on the nose <laughs> shit. Awesome. Uh, yeah. The, the, you know, there's no, no need to go too much in the subtext. <laughs> um, uh, but, but I, you know, I had this, I, there was like this, this view of the world, this character had, and then some like just images, um, you know, floating on a, on a raft in mm-hmm. a pool, drinking beer all day. Um, part of that was like stuff that I would do a lot for to see friends. Uh, uh, there's another, there was this song, um, this Brian, Eno, John Cale uh, song spinning away. That was like the mo- the song that kind of cracked it for me. And I had originally had it written into the script. Um, but I, I it just didn't make sense in the movie at all, but it's a fantastic song. But I remember like hearing that song and it almost has this, like it, it, it hit the tone that I wanted this movie to be that it's like, I mean, then there's the comedy side of the movie, but it's like the, the feeling you get from this movie. Um, and it was in hearing that song that I like had this just, it sounds, sounds pretentious, but an image of, of this character in this Hawaiian shirt and, and swim trunks, um, trashed, but happy, like on top of a boulder in Joshua tree, uh, dancing to this song. Um, and so like those kinds of, of, images helped like i don't know get me started um in, in the writing of it all just it's like, it's like how, how, yeah how do i build up to a point of, of like of seeing this guy dancing on a boulder or uh whatever um that, sorry to no, you off. that uh, i was actually i was cutting in uh because it reminded me <laughs> going back to your uh chronicles of narnia uh <laughs> thing i always loved the c.s lewis talked about those stories coming from a picture in his mind of uh, a fawn carrying a package with an umbrella in a snowstorm. No, oh, that's the, see, it all it all comes back to C.S. Lewis. Even though I like I could, just couldn't get through those books, it's <laughs> but like, like I love that it, idea of like there's something about an image, right? That like mm-hmm. a story crafts itself around it almost. Like it doesn't like it's almost like uh, you know like nature pours a vacuum. You're like. 
there it is. How did how did it get there? You know, how did it get to that point, yeah. and where is it going? Yeah, and I and I think that like I've I'm trying to remind myself that that's again like that's how Palm Springs really like came about was first like this uh, a character challenge slash point of view of a character, and then these images of like yeah him floating in a pool, um, which was it was it was it was cool like a. Uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly picked their like the the greatest shot of the year, um, and it was they picked the shot that's at the, the overhead of uh, Niles on the pizza raft in the pool, um, and it was was so nice. Is that like yeah, that's that was one of the first kind of images for the movie. Um, that's interesting. And because I just felt like that captured a lot, and so like a lot of like a lot of yeah, a lot of the movie was was that the, the dinosaurs, same thing. There are there are ways of approaching a screenplay which are are efficient. Like you should do some outlining and really get everything in order, and then once you start actually writing the script, then it should be easy. Um, and this I just uh, took this kind of like ignorant confidence um, after that weekend. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna start writing now, and uh, and without a real plan or outline. And what that is is just it's a very inefficient way to approach um, writing a screenplay, and then so that, that's why it took two and a half years to like figure out what it was because there were just so many abandoned drafts and went down these like kind of tangents and I think like one where he where Niles ended up like at a, at a sleeping with his instructor at a silent retreat um I don't know there were just like this big like a bender montage into the desert this is all pre-time loop all pre-wedding versions of the movie mm. but I think it was helpful in finding that character and the way that the character interacts with the world so that like once like it's, it's kind of a combination of like me getting married and having this like really high point of joy in my life and then, like, right after the wedding, worried that I would never achieve that level of joy again, which I didn't have kids yet, so I didn't, I was pretty naive to think that, and I've, I've achieved it now with the kids. Um, and then, but, but now I have my, we had our second kid, and I hope that it's like, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but yeah, so I remember talking to Max after, after my wedding, and how, like, I was worried I would never hit that high point again. And meanwhile, he was worried that he would never hit it at all, because mm. he, he, he wasn't in a relationship at the time. And, and so, like, then, he and I would just get into a room and kind of have these like, you know, just almost like therapeutic discussions with each other. Mm-hmm. And it was that tension that kind of like started that that's where we, we kind of realized, Oh, maybe this is a movie that takes place at a wedding or, and there's maybe there's a relationship at the core of this movie. Um, mm. Because like, you know, and then that's where the time loop stuff started to start to come in too. It's like, what, what better place to trap a character who care, who says he cares about nothing than at a place where um, people care almost too much about things that don't really matter. Like, you know, like, like, you know, is a rosemary sprig for a cocktail, um, dressing or a, a dried blood orange, uh, and that, how that, something like that could cause a fight. Um, and so like put a character who cares about nothing at a place where people care too much and have, and trap him there for all eternity. Um, then see what happens and then try to try to do a love story around that. So then, I don't know, things started to kind of like get into focus a little bit around then.
did that catch right away as an idea. Like, I'm sure you were like, can we do this? No, we can't do a time loop. Or Yeah, well, that, that, I, this, this is again where uh, <laughs> ignorance is our friend. Um, uh, where I remember Max and I sitting, I think, it, yeah, we're uh, just sitting in my, my small little bungalow. Um, and we, like we, again, when, whenever we'd get into a room, we just, there were like a, a stew, like a weird stew of ideas and life shit that like, we just kind of throw up on a, on a board. So what the, again, not really like fully formed ideas or story things, but, but I do remember like this moment where something in the, in the writing of it and trying to find, find the story in the writing, but I kept, I kept on going in the direction of like something slightly either sciencey, supernaturally, something that is uh, like out of this world, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I can't, I can't remember exactly how it came up in this, this specific conversation of like the time loop thing. But I, but I remember like, I think we maybe may have just turned on Groundhog Day to like check something check like a reference. And then I think it was after that, perhaps that we're like, it's kind of what you kind of, how you just said it, like, do we do the time loop thing? Uh, and two smarter people, um, would have been like, no, like <laughs> just stay away from one of the most beloved comedies of all time. Uh, and you know, I can, it's, I think it's this, it's a, it's a genre, you know, of its own now, I think like, um, at the edge of tomorrow, like, took it to a new place happy death they took it to a new place like and there's just a, there's a, a ton of movies that actually and tv shows too that like play with this concept and i think it's it's i think it's a, a lovely concept i never want to do another time loop thing again in my life but um <laughs> but uh but at that time like and uh we were just like yeah we kind of just shrugged and like yeah let's do it um and if it, i think if it wasn't for getting in, in zamberg on board uh we, we maybe would have been laughed out of the room, <laughs> but, uh, but we, you know, look at Groundhog Day and, we, and a lot of these time loop stories that's that the character figures out the meaning of life or some, or cracks some kind of code for life. And then they're gifted away out of the loop. Um, and you know, a, a new day begins and that's the end of the movie. And, and so it was a very clear de- de- decision from the beginning. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like that's, that's been done by better movies and smarter people than, mm-hmm. than, uh, than us. But what we can do is like, you know, let's say that this character Niles has like been through this loop. Um, he's already achieved that plateau level. He's done every possible thing you can do. Uh, he's cracked the code on life and whatever, figured out the meaning of life or what he thinks the meaning of life is. And, and, uh, no, the, the day just starts right over again because there's truly no way out of this loop. So then, so then like, what are the next hundred or a thousand years look like for this person Mm. who is like just living in an, an eternal plateau? Um, and how do you disrupt that? And so like Niles, status quo was that um and it was i think that was always kind of his status quo in life uh in like the, the character that we like initially talked about back in 2015 mm-hmm. but it was odd that like i mean the cool thing was is that in having him trapped for however many years thousands of years hundreds of years whatever you want um in a time loop like it actually made more sense like that he would become this kind of foe yeah. zen uh, rather than like already being that 
um, in a nor- in a normal world, uh, and so that that's yeah that that was this jumping off point of like okay here's he, he's been here for a long time so like it's we we would say that this is kind of a sequel to a movie that doesn't exist uh, uh, because you know the Palm Springs whatever one point mm-hmm. would be what these other movies have done which is like how how did is you go to this wedding with Niles as he somehow wanders off into the desert and wanders into a cave and then gets trapped in there and start, like figures out the mechanics of the loop. Um, it's like, that's been done. And how do, how do we take the baton that these other people have run, have been running with? How do we take that just into a, another direction? Um, rather than just like rehashing the same thing. And, uh, yeah, that's, and then, sorry, yeah. no, that's that distinction on both ends is, is really great. Like you come into the movie again, do not watch, do not listen to this without watching the movie, but you come in with one character already firmly established in the loop mm-hmm. and uh I, the way you guys introduced that is is so great because you watched that scene the first time and it just strikes you as a little bit odd and but quirky and fun and then mm-hmm. you're like oh i i get it <laughs> he's, yeah he's done that no, i mean that, that, that's just another fun thing i'm just like i i i love i love being in a movie uh and you have, that you have just you have no idea what's going to happen next, and like you you think you're in one movie, and then it just becomes something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's countless examples of that. So that was like one thing that we were just going for is like, yeah, you think you're in this this indie wedding comedy, um, and then then he's hit with a bow and with hit with an arrow, and he's being hunted by <laughs> a, a, a strange man in fatigues. Um, oh man! And so That's yeah, that, I don't know. That was a. And so there was the the, the story side of it, and I think that was the what was. Why why summer or June of twenty fifteen was the starting point for sure. Even even though like the movie wasn't cracked until like the the script that that most closely resembles the movie that is on screen that was written I think in January of twenty seventeen. Um, but it was that's after like hundreds of pages of other versions of the same thing of other versions of Niall's life uh, came before that. Um, but I think it's because that that core idea of taking a person from caring about nothing to care, finding purpose and caring, that was always the same. And then you can like zag on that general idea, that spine in so many different ways, all while like, you know, I feel like I wear my influences on my sleeves uh, pretty heavily um, with like the movies that I like, I, I like or that I, that are make up the DNA of, of Palm Springs. Um, and that's where I feel like it, it's, it's this, it's another thing that I don't, I don't know if you're really supposed to do, uh, but like, I, I feel where I can, I can, I can look at it and like, I'm, I'm okay that it's, I'm inspired. I could say I'm inspired by, uh, the great beauty, um, and Ace Ventura when nature calls, uh, <laughs> or like, or that going from going to like both extremes, yeah. like I, you know, of the last, of the last several years, like, um, Inside Lou and Davis is one of my favorite movies of the the past decade. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty somber, somber movie, um, like but that was one that we we looked at a lot for this for uh, for Palm Springs not, and same thing for that. it's it's fantastic uh, and there's um, <laughs> there's there's a moment in there uh, where cause he he plays this kind of he's a, a folk musician and he goes to, there's a moment where he goes to his manager's office and his manager like needs to make more space in the closet so he like unloads some of the old old uh lps onto 
Oscar Isaac's character just to, like clean out the closet mm-hmm. basically um, of like yeah we you know we aren't selling these really and so you can just take them home and it was funny because like, my brother and I had that exact same moment when we went to uh, uh, our our record label um, TBE Records uh, and they were cleaning out the closet and they they need to give us like all the LPs that they of ours that just weren't selling. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a very relatable mu- movie, I think, to any any musician. Um, but that's it's a very it's a somber movie. Um, and Patterson was another movie that was like a, in the recent years that uh, that really influenced Palm Springs. But at the same time, yeah, we look at Dumb and Dumber as well. Yeah. Uh, like and so that was always another fun thing that to like again not having any adults in the room, not having anyone tell us like no, you shouldn't do that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to, like, pick a lane, you know, yeah. or don't don't try to do the time loop thing. Like, that's the freedom of, of not having, having you, anyone uh, watching over you um, and telling you no. Uh, and so that's like where that, you know, I, I was a, attempting a micro-budget movie and it, because of just, I think, all of those things I've just mentioned and kind of just where my tastes lie. It just was no longer a, a micro budget movie by the time I was finished with it. It was, it was, it was still a small indie film, but it wasn't going to be a movie that was going to be like, you know, $50,000 yeah. that we were hoping for. So I wanted to talk about this. Uh, it's interesting that the character was already kind of nihilistic before he was in the loop. Um, but I feel like something the movie gets at is this idea that in some sense the meaning in our ri- in our lives is derived from our mortality and mm-hmm. while he can't die while like nothing can actually progress he's stuck in this place and uh Sarah ends up seeing this and wanting to get out of it uh for various reasons but I noticed on my second time watching through the way she approaches that last day when she knows she's going to either leave or die, not sure which. Uh, And she has this like actual enjoyment in the moment at the wedding, at these different things. And is, um, it just seems like she's very present, right? Like Mm -hmm. knowing that she'll die like it's the old like memento mori like uh and i was curious like when that kind of how that came about in the the movie i i i'm i'm not a fan of of, uh self-help stuff like you know power of now and whatnot but i I also at the same time i understand there is a an importance in like um just being present in 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 the moment and because like and that's that is what a lot of the movie, the axis the movie moves around. Um, like there's the going from caring about nothing to caring or finding purpose in caring or whatever. And so I think you have two characters that are on both ends of that spectrum where Niles cares about nothing when Sarah represents the person who cares, maybe cares too much about the wrong things. And it's like it, it manifests itself in kind of like a... Uh, a self-hatred maybe um but it all to me it all kind of like that it's in, in a perhaps an adjacent conversation within that is this living in the present versus living in the uh being stuck in the past reference to my old short story that i wrote uh or uh be or like focusing too much in the future and that's and and one of the hardest like the hardest scenes to write 
but I think it, it, it ties to the end, but and the, like there are various versions of, of, of that, of her final day. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like, it was, yeah, there, 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 there a lot of discussions around like what that final day would look like, like, you know, but you're, you're absolutely right of like, she is just kind of just, she is living in the present in a way. Um, and it was always important that both, because it's like it's a, it's a dual protagonist movie. It's not like um, while the movie, while the idea started with as being Niall's movie, it was like once I, you know, we kind of discovered Sarah, like she she really took over yeah. and she's kind of like almost almost more the protagonist. But they both they both go through a change and both needed each other to be uh, like to see the other side. Um, and that's part of that that caring spectrum, but also part of the like this past, present, future. And so that one of the hardest scenes like I, uh, I mentioned was a, is the campfire scene, which the point of that scene, I feel like there was, I was trying to do a lot with that scene and it took up, there are certain moments of it that never changed from the earlier drafts, like the dinosaur moments or like, or, or what, what you needed, what you needed to have happen where you have two characters who don't believe that like they were capable of, uh, either loving or being loved that uh, now all of a sudden are like seeing each other for the first time and ex- and ac- acknowledging these feelings inside of them that are, you know, um, they can't help. Uh, and that's why they see dinosaurs. Um, but the other, the risk is always like going too much into the intellectual part. And like, honestly, a lot of the, I was almost trying to intellectualize too much um, mm. in the script there's a, it's a longer like a lo- much longer scene and a lot of it was cut down rightfully so because like you don't need that it's like you know movies function on emotion not on the intellect stuff and it was Niles has this whole I, there, I think I think there's a little bit of it and there's still like the stuff with the Twix is, I, I, can't, I can't even remember I haven't seen the movie in oh yeah they're talking about if, the Twix yeah, is gone the Twix yeah and, yeah, and uh, so that that was all part of a longer like analogy that was just it if if we wanted a ten minute, fifteen minute version of that, that scene, then that's in there. Uh, but it's all about what you just said there, where like Niall's whole thing is like to solely exist in the present. Um, don't even don't never think it, like the past doesn't matter. The future uh, holds no bearing at all because it's not it's non-existent right now. It's only thing that matters is is you know is the now <laughs> yeah and she um, she kind of comes around with like maybe a fuller picture of the now where it's like it's yeah, not, yeah that's the thing is like the now she, holds she, the past she, and the future within it yeah. yeah and and the thing is i think but at that moment like she's only seen that a little bit but she's she's been living her life up at that point like refusing to be present whatsoever mm. um because she's she is weighed down by the shit that uh that she has done or the paths that her life has taken. And it's just a, a life of regret and, and depression and, and everything um, involved in everything that she went through up to this point. But like in this, you know, campfire argument, she's, she's arguing for the side of like, you, you need to, <laughs> Niall's point of view of like the now stuff is like, that's also pretty limited. Like you can't just ignore the past. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is important because that informs your future, uh, and this is where they both like you know, if if he, Niles has the center part and she has the past and present part, they both like realize that there is 
there is a benefit of having all of it. And they, they get a glimpse of it, just as they glimpse dinosaurs. And then it then the other shit, the other ways they've been living their lives up to that point starts to catch up. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's, it's, the, it's the past that, you know, takes over. It's, it's the stuff that she has done or the stuff that he has done that ends up taking over and he like and makes and causes them their relationship to explode mm. and then she's like i only am caring i just i just want to move i want to move into the future i don't want i just want to skip this whole part i just want to move straight into the future uh and then i mean you, you, there's a world where you could see all that you can see like her reach her her zen mm-hmm. kind of state um but I, you know i feel like we don't really need to see that but something that is inherent to reaching that that kind of zen state or and just inherent to to being in this world for so long is that these like old grudges don't really matter as much either like Mm. you just you like the past stuff doesn't matter as much anymore like the stuff that like her fight with niles on the roadside like she kind of gets over it quickly because like you know that might have been i don't know exactly how long ago it was uh uh in the movie um but probably many many years ago and like like you just have to get over shit and she, she gets over it. Uh, she kind of completes her art quicker than Niles can. I think she is, she is a more evolved human being. And therefore like after she does her quantum physics montage for however many, however many years that is, um, and comes back and like, you know, forgives Niles, but is also like forgiven herself and then can be at peace with like, who knows what tomorrow will be. I might be dead. Uh, I might wake up under a pile of rocks. The day might start over, whatever it is, but like I need to at least, I need to, I need to take this leap. Um, because, because li- being permanently stuck in the now is, uh, it's also bullshit too. I like how you like the leap gets tied in like the existential leap of you know continuing living and the leap into like their commitment like them being together kind of coinciding mm-hmm. into one thing uh I thought was great uh in Thank you. in the sense that they're both like unknowns right like um mm-hmm. but I <laughs> Uh, there's so much packed into that scene that's amazing. The the what if we get sick of each other and we're already sick of each other? It's the best. Uh, I I <laughs> thought that was that's one of the best lines I've heard in a long time, and oh, it's so <laughs> it's so well describes uh, like what a a partnership is. I think like it's not yeah. this fairy tale thing. It's it's getting sick of each other and then finding new and beautiful ways to like appreciate those things that you're sick of. And it's like, a, it, it never changing. It's always moving and progressing. And I mean, I guess ideally, but, um, but it's built out of like mundaneness at the same time that it's built out of like these beautiful little moments. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he he delivers that line so well too. I I feel like that just clinched so many things there. Um, yeah, I I, mean, I I feel so fortunate that 
they had a uh, you know two incredible actors to uh, to make that all that so much better than than it had any right to be. Um, but I but yeah that I mean that line to me that that is a <laughs> that's the that's the thesis statement of the movie that and and then when Roy says. Uh, nothing worse than going through this shit alone. Mm. Um, those were always like those, those, I don't think I had those lines early on, but there was, you know, in the idea behind those was always kind of like this pool throughout the, throughout the movie. Cause yeah, the other part of this whole process was, you know, I, it, this was written right after my wedding, um, going through and right after my wedding all the way up to like the final, draft before we like took it out for financing with with Andy Sandberg and then them involved that was a month after my first daughter was born so mm. like um those decisions to get married take that leap of actually committing um to have a child uh yeah that's all that's all part of the DNA of the movie too um yeah and I also love how you tied the <laughs> like the odds of being stuck in the time loop with your favorite person like just being a metaphor for like what's the odds of you being you know, married to or partner with your, your favorite person? It's like, you have no other context to know who your favorite per- person is. You know, like, I, I, I never, I never even, I never even thought of it like that. Uh, that, that, that was actually, I think, uh, I think that was one of, one of Andy's, uh, suggestions. Uh, there's so many Andy's here between Andy, Laura and seriously? me and Andy Sandberg, but this was, this is, uh, uh, Sandberg, one of his suggestions, um, that, that line, the, uh, the odds of getting stuck in a time loop. Yeah, it's great because it, 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 there's honestly no difference if you think about it between that and like getting stuck or whatever you want to put it in, mm-hmm. a, in a relationship. Like it's like you don't know every person on earth. You don't know you you don't have like like you're not working on this massive scale of uh, out of every person who would I best comply. It's like no, this is the person that mm-hmm. you're in the shit with and is the person that you're you know it's the best to be sick of whatever like it's it's great mm-hmm. um can we Thanks, can we man. talk about the dinosaurs uh let's, let's i don't want to demystify them too much day. but i'm assuming yeah i don't i don't care about demystifying right. like, i'm assuming yeah. there's a connection to the the dinosaurs on the side of the road driving out to palm springs or no um that's it's funny there's a uh i think i saw it on the on the Wikipedia page, someone had put in a that it's like a, there's a reference to the Capazon dinosaurs, and and no, that's not it's not a reference to that. really, like not uh, at all. Yeah, in your not head. at all. I mean, I've 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 seen those. I mean, you know, I can't say that there was like that's not in there because there there was actually another version of this. I'm I'm I might be conflating two different things. There was there was a a thesis film that Max and I had written together about like a a family that goes to this um, resort in Palm Springs to, for a, like a, a funeral of an uncle. Um, and I think they either, either it was either in that or in the earlier version of, of this movie that uh, they actually stop at the Cabazon dinosaurs and, and talk about how it's just, it's bizarre that it's become a creationist museum. Um, and uh, so I, I didn't want to have the, I definitely didn't want the Cabazon dinosaur dinosaurs in there because uh, I think that you know yeah, that creationism is is bad for um, <laughs> evolution of humanity, um, and uh, so I'd say so it's not definitely not a reference to to those, uh, but at the same time 
maybe somewhere deep in my subconscious that's why they popped up but i mean the more powerful thing in my subconscious is, is jurassic park as like that is the that is the movie that you know seeing in june of 93 as a just shy of my seventh birthday um just yeah made me made me feel everything uh and made me want to do this complete this uh you know career path at some point um but it was but in that the, the strange thing about the dinosaurs are another and actually another thing that someone had brought up is like yeah they're they're, they're just uh, hallucinating them because it's they're on shrooms and, and that's that's another thing that I I say I say no to but if that's what people want to believe too that's fine um, it's it's this movie is not mine anymore it's it's uh, it's out in the world but from my standpoint um, why the dinosaurs came up. I just remember writing that, writing that scene, and it's everything I described earlier of like this this crucial point in the movie um, for on like the past, present, future mm-hmm. side of it all. The caring to not caring. She's like, she catches him in a point where he he cares um, cares about her, and most importantly, it's like that sounds that sounds so so cheesy. It's when you it's when you fall in love, man. Uh, it's the the feeling when you you cross that threshold in a relationship, and you know that something seismic has changed, uh, and both of you feel it at the same time. And I remember in writing that scene and knowing that was kind of the like the ultimate or maybe discovering that's the ultimate point of it. And it ended as they like look at each other and knowing that that's what just happened, that threshold in their relationship. I just remember feeling like, oh, that'd be so cool if they saw dinosaurs. <laughs> and, and, so, and so that's where it's like, eh, I'll, just, I'll just do that. And, uh, and then I wrote in dinosaurs. <laughs> To me, the di- like, however, like, whether the dinosaurs are just they symbolize something like what I just des- what I described, or like I think for the for the purposes of just the the <laughs> the rules of this world of of the Palm Springs world, um, if you're just going to remove any kind of uh, symbolism from it, um, which is totally fine too. Just like is it just uh, the dinosaurs are actually there. So did did they, are they glimpsing some kind of like, uh, I don't know, rift in the, the split in the space time continuum or whatever like and it, it like with to, to, to your point of like something from the past being in the present like are all these existing on one one singular plane, um, it just may, maybe it was just because I, I just love Jurassic Park and I just wanted to get dinosaur into the into the movie, <laughs> maybe it means nothing at all other than that. I have to accept that as well. I I think the way it was handled is so subtle and great in there. Like, I don't know how well it would have worked otherwise, but it works so well just being like this. You see this slight movement, you're like, that's a, I can see that's a dinosaur neck. Like, you know, like you get, I, I love that you get the feeling of like uh, discovery, I guess, uh, just as the mm-hmm. person sitting there would be like, wait, yeah that's cool yeah sorry dinosaurs tangent cool. i like dinosaurs too so uh all right last 
question. Uh, do you have any consistent practices or habits that are helpful for you? That are helpful for me? <sighs> Given uh, the Lodge guys, uh, this one, like Peter Ocko, just like, um, you know, a tip of the hat. Is that I feel like I learned from from being his assistant for two years um, to the first the first season, like having a front row seat to like running a TV show, and he's he's been in this business for thirty plus years and career guy, um, and I felt like I, I where I'm so lucky to have worked, who have started out in this business and in a business that I've I've heard horror stories from many other people like to work for someone that had this great work-life balance where every day the writer, like we, writers would be done around 4.30 every day and he'd be out of the office by 5.30 because he has a family and kids. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I learned through him, and I don't, I don't think he even knows that he's, he's taught me this, um, or maybe, maybe I've mentioned it before, uh, but how important that is because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Uh, and I think this year especially has, has made that, mm. has proven that like all that really matters is, you know, the people who you're going through this shit with um, and how to always, you know, properly tend to those relationships. So through in, 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 in being lucky enough to like have this introduction into how to make this career work and have a happy life and happy family, like knowing your, your hierarchy of like, of, uh, who, I mean, I, what it was interesting, like I always felt like I realized where, where I fall in the pecking order, where something that might seem so important to me, I would look at like these other people that I work with and like, you know, they prioritize family and those relationships over work. And I think in a, in a, there's a, there's a parallel universe where I would, I would become too obsessed and, and prioritize work over those relationships. So this is all a long way of saying one thing that has helped me, but it's been able to like, you know, put more into practice this year because we've been trapped at home all year um, or since March is uh, like being out of the office by 5.30 every day. And, um, you know, I, I, I get up, at, I get up every morning at 5.30 and work until eight. And that's, that's a time where I, I that's what I guess that's one thing that is, a, a method of mm-hmm. and it's, the world is asleep or at least my household is asleep still and so having the quiet is nice but also eight o'clock once or once i sometimes it's a little earlier once my daughter wakes up i'm like close the computer just i'm done until about nine thirty or 10 and to be there for breakfast to be there as they're waking up everyone's just getting moving um and helping out with everything in the morning, eating breakfast. Uh, lately, my, my daughter's, uh, the, our two and a half year old, is really into sharing a plate of eggs with me. She, she, she won't eat if it's on her own plate, but like, she's gonna like, it's, but if I give her like, if I put it on like a, a normal like adult plate and and we're, we share one fork together and an adult fork. Oh my gosh. Um, and then she, she wants to drink my LaCroix too. And so like, we, we share this uh, breakfast of LaCroix and eggs. And so like, that's and that's more in the past like two months, but like that's something we do every morning together now, um, and that's an important part of the morning. And in doing that, and like, come nine thirty when I come back to the office, uh, just down the hall, of course, too. Yeah. Um, I feel like I don't feel 
in, you know, obviously depending on the day, sometimes I'm more scattered or whatever, but like, I feel like I'm, I'm properly giving time to everything. So like I gave that work time in the morning, but close the computer and then could focus solely on parenting and being a good husband and then come back in here. And while I'm always thinking about that, I can still focus on this without like on the work without, without feeling like I'm letting things fall behind. And then anywhere from 4.30 to 6 every day. That's why I say 5.30. Uh, it's kind of 5 or 5.30 on average. Shut the computer, then I'm done. And then being with family for <laughs> all the important things, dinner and story time and bath time and, like, putting putting them to bed. Um, and I, I I would... I don't I don't think... Because I, I, I have lovely parents that raised me, I think, raised me well, and they were... You know, they they were always there. So I took, I would, I, I say I would get, I can get glimpses of myself of not being that person, mm-hmm. of being the person that would be, that would like rather be at the office and miss those things. And like at the same time, I don't think I, I think even in parallel, parallel <laughs> universe, I wouldn't be that person. Uh, but no, it's good. I mean, I think you have to protect that, even if you're, even if you you're prone to not want to ignore that stuff or escape from it. Like mm-hmm. you, you still have to fight for it, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, and 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 every you know it's also just adapt too. Like, I think what was what was hard and why what was kind of the wake up call for me and this this year in particular was in the in the month after so the movie premiered Sundance in end of January and then that month of February and beginning of March I was in production on another show and doing a bunch of meetings in that kind of post Sundance wave. So like, I was gone every day from like because production hours are just you know twelve mm, plus yeah. hours a day. And I'm driving all around town, and I was gone a lot of the day, and I'd be lucky to be home for um, to like read a story at night, or lucky to be home to like if I'm there when they wake up. And um, I just realized that's not good for for my my heart and soul and mind. And so, yeah, this year especially, really sticking to um, you know a schedule because I think sticking to a schedule has helped me be productive in ways that I didn't know I was able to be productive before. Like, cause it's like, it's more, maybe more rigid and more survival based. And I think I would like to be like, yeah, I can lock myself into a room for, for a week and, and not see the sunlight and, and just get into like a, a story hole and I'd be fine with that. And I know I probably would be fine with that, but also that, that there comes at the cost yeah. of, of other things. Awesome. Man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you for, being part of creating two honestly i i would say palm springs was my favorite movie i've seen this year like new movie and lodge is my favorite tv show i've seen this year so i feel honored to be to have been a part of that show but um but that is like you know that's a that is a as jim gavin's and peter Rocco's baby um i'm just a I feel like I feel like I had I had like front front row seats in the in the, <laughs> the bleachers for that one. Like maybe majority of people were in the back row. I, I had the front row seats. So, but um, but thank you, and I, I will pass that on to them too. That that uh, you're a fan of the show. So, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. If you have a moment today, it would help a ton if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And share this episode with a friend. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Carry the Fire Pod. 
I want to thank my producer, Andy Lara, and all of our executive producers, Chris Reeves, Tony Panaro, Sam George, Reed Duchess, Thomas Fortcourt, Shamir Hassan, Amy Armstrong, Luis Rivera, Gabe Munoz, Cameron Lane, Hamza Bebehana, Michael Maitland, Adam Collins, Susanna Coleman, Ian Hunt, John Diego, Jess Card, Mark Weiss, Brianna Webb, John Buchan, Denise Sugita, Colin Hawthorne, Brian Weisbecker, Josh Malara, Eric Gonzalez, Matthew Alcon, and Tiffany Payne. Thank you all so much for carrying the fire with me, and I'll see you next time.